Welcome. Boom, 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 I am the deep insight. <laughs> He's so deep, bro. You can't handle it. Oh my god. Oh, Caleb, you're so deep. Oh crap! I used our sex joke too early. Oh man. No more today, guys. Dang it! Guess, guess you'll have to think of some more. Oh. Yeah. Today we are covering the 2017 Taika Waititi and Marvel film Thor Ragnarok. You see, the last couple episodes. We covered Spotlight, Six Underground, and both these films had the honor of getting the good old gentleman's two-and-a-half-star rating from Mr. Colin. So, you know, Colin wanted to continue the two-and-a-half-star trend. (laughs) Wow. I'm just kidding. kidding. (laughs) Oh, you're just mad because this movie is amazing, and I picked one with Mark Ruffalo in it. Man, I hate it when Colin picks amazing movies for me to watch. Isn't that the worst? I know. It makes me so so mad. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, Colin, why don't you open us up a little bit about your first initial reaction to this film. When you first watched it in theaters back at the tail end of 2017, what were some of your initial thoughts, first impressions you had with this film? Man, my first impressions with this movie are as follows, my guys. Number one, I do not understand how anybody, any single person on this here planet Earth has any dispute or issue with the fact that this is far and away the best Marvel film made to date. I don't want to hear, I think Endgame is more better. Or Infinity War was so good. Oh my goodness, it's so. Or Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Oh, so very good. No, 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 no. It's all about Taika Waititi and Thor Ragnarok. It mixes comedy. It mixes Marvelo, Marvelo, ah, Marvelness. It mixes. <laughs> Pull your cigs. It's Marvel time. <laughs> it, it mixes filmmaking strategies. It mixes color it mixes amazing edits and just in general taika watiti's got his fingerprints all over this bad boy that's how you know it's going to be a solid grade a movie and here we are gentlemen we are now examining thor ragnarok one of the cornerstones upon which this podcast is built as we all know (laughs) praise our, our lord's arrival praise our lord's thor ragnarok and praise our demon god, Midsummer, of course. <laughs> Gotta worship the demon god. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, before I pass the torch to Caleb, I am glad you brought that up, Colin, because this is kind of the trio of films that make up the OG controversial corners of the pyramid of yelling at the screen. Now a new one is joined among them, Pixar Soul, and more films will join, of course. But it is exciting that we're doing a Our feature coverage <laughs> for one of these big controversial movies. Now, Caleb, you got to hear Colin talk about a little bit of excitement for yeah. fingerprints and colors and filmmaking strategies, which I'm sure Colin will kind of go over that in more detail. 
later. But tell me a little bit, Caleb, about your initial reaction to this film. Because you saw this in theaters when it came out, correct? I did not, actually. <laughs> I, I Dang, waited. Caleb. Yeah, I waited to see it. I wasn't... Around that time, I was... I don't know. I just not wasn't going to the theater as much. So I just... Not that I ignored movies. I just only saw them when I had a lot of spare time, if that makes sense. So I found myself watching this, I think, when it came on Netflix, not too long after it Mm. got released on DVD. And then somehow Netflix got the rights to stream it. So I sat down and watched it on Netflix. And at the time did not have a strong reaction to it not that it would i feel like at the time i had a very huge negative reaction to it which you've heard me and colin probably banter about a few times especially in the early days of 2020 (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but on this viewing was it was very different for me because i decided to rewatch thor and thor the dark world which I hadn't done in years. And I had also, before viewing Ragnarok, saw two of Watiti's other major films, one of which we've talked on the podcast, Hunt for the Wilder People, and the other was Jojo Rabbit. And I think all those viewings have impacted my reaction to Ragnarok. And I'm excited to talk about that with you guys. I think that's going to be enlightening it sounds like you've come in with a fresher perspective for this rewatch considering you've seen more of Watiti's films have you seen uh, what we do in the shadows i think i've asked you that before i haven't seen the movie but i've watched season one of the tv show that he nice nice helped write and i think produce Jack, what we do in the shadows—that's the one where I thought that I hadn't seen it for forever, but it turns out it's the vampire roommate movie. Yes, that's <laughs> okay. Good. Yeah, I, I remember Dude, that. For story. the longest time, like when people were like, "Oh, have you ever heard of this really cool Taika Waititi movie? It's called What We Do in the Shadows." I'm like, "Oh, what's that? I don't know." And then I re- realized, maybe like three years ago, that I had seen it in high school with Jack. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Yeah, as far as my first impression for this film goes, this was the last Marvel film I ever saw opening night. Oh, wow. And I think that's kind of a great way to start off that impression, because I really did not like this film at all when I first saw it. It just didn't really impress me. I wasn't very much into the narrative. I didn't find it as funny as a lot of my peers and a lot of the audience dwellers. Not dwellers. Dwell- well, audience, audience dwellers. dwellers. <laughs> they're, they're hiding under their chair like, give me some popcorn. It's like, oh, okay, get off my shoes. Yeah, all, the, all that trash that people leave in the theaters is actually just offerings to the audience yeah. dwellers. <laughs> you could have a good time. Oh, boy. We're going to have a new group of listeners, guys. The audience dwellers. The audience, dwell- <laughs> audience dwellers. Avid listeners Avid to listeners. yelling at the screen. <laughs> And earlier when I made the comment about this was the last time I saw a Marvel film on opening night, this was less of a negative jab at the MCU film series because before Ragnarok, I'd found myself kind of waning on some of the hype around the series, especially with Ant-Man and Doctor Strange. I wasn't as into Phase 3 of the MCU as I was into Phase 1 and 2. And honestly, I would argue right around this time... 
that like Civil War and Thor Ragnarok came out, I was really kind of pursuing other avenues of filmmaking and genre work and maybe some deeper cuts, more outside-the-box cuts. And because of that, I think Thor Ragnarok didn't really resonate with me, but I've been very excited to revisit this film and discuss it with my bro host today <laughs> because we did an episode on Hunt for the Wilder People, and I had a very different reaction from that film on the second watch than I did on my initial watch back in 2017, so I was excited to see how my perspective would change on Thor Ragnarok. And I'm happy to say that, and we'll kind of use this as a transition period into some of your initial reactions, thoughts from this rewatch. But I'm happy to say that on this rewatch, I think I enjoyed it a lot more than I did during the first than, than the first time when I saw it in theaters. So, Colin, Caleb, how about you two? How did this new viewing, this latest viewing of Thor Ragnarok, how did it impact you? Caleb, I think you should go first since you talked a little bit about now that you've seen more Taika Waititi right. films. Yeah, I can go first. I, like I said, had a more positive reaction this time around. And that's because I've... Oh, let me rephrase it. I, I see where Taika Waititi's direction shines... Um, that I, I was able to compare Wilder People and Jojo Rabbit to Ragnarok and see, oh, like, this is Taika Waititi's style. This is his flair. And he's doing it really well in this genre. As as a director in the MCU, I definitely think he stands apart because of that. And that, and that the MCU benefits from having a director of Waititi's personality and directorial style i i nice, i agree nice. I like where, yeah i like where you're going at that caleb and i think i'm going to put a pin in that conversation point okay. as i address some of colin's thoughts but i want to go back to that about watiti's style and how it's affected these films and the direction mcu films will potentially go in because of the very positive impact he's had on them both critically and commercially but first colin You've made you've been very vocal about this being your favorite MCU film. What what number watch was this for you? How many times have you think oh, you've seen I've this film? Probably seen this movie fifteen plus times. I would say Damn. fifteen plus times. <laughs> yeah. My goodness, that's awesome. It's, it's a good. It's a good one, man. What, can, what, what, what? What? What do you want me to say? Look, this viewing just cemented it, concreted it. Was the Adamant? Nope, that's not the right one. It was the carbonite that uh, made a uh, made a mold of my my body, my mind. Look, this is the best MCU movie, and I I don't understand. I don't agree with anyone who thinks differently. You are incorrect, sir and or madam. So you've both brought good pieces of info to the table as far as your viewings of this film goes and i'm trying to decide which direction i want to go down what colin said or what caleb said so i'm gonna do a little close my eyes and flip a coin <laughs> and figure it out and duh, 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 Jack, they can't you know that the, the listeners can't see you right you're pulling on me. Yeah, I have my eyes open the whole time. I'm just lying to them i'm an unreliable narrator let's go so <laughs> this podcast is a lie <laughs> All right, we're pursuing the path of Colin. Colin, kind of tell me a little bit about why exactly you consider and perceive this as the best of the best when it comes to the MCU. And Caleb, 
you're going to respond to this as well, but I want to hear Colin's okay. <laughs> kind of answer to that first. Why is this the best MCU film? Look, man, at the end of the day, we've got our boy, our man, our numeral uno, Chifo Matico. Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> that is true. Mark Ruffalo oh, is Wait. in this oh, film. Oh. He's a great actor, as we've established before. So, they, Anyways, Colin, we get it. You love Mark Ruffalo. Exactly, yeah. We love Mark Ruffalo in this podcast. <laughs> um, here's the dealio, yo. This movie, like I said before, it, it blend, number one, in my mind, Taika Waititi's colorfulness is all over this film. This movie is bright colors all the time. Even in the dark places, it's still like a greenish-blue bright color, not like a dark gray blue filter nonsense that a whole lot of uh, other films will stoop to. So it sounds like kind of, I guess, you know, taking what you said and building off of it, there's a stronger aesthetic appeal to what this film is going for Oh yeah, some of the other MCU films. Especially compared to some of the other Marvel movies. This movie has a lot more going on visually uh than than others now the next thing is the humor it's still got that nice sharp uh marvel ism to it right it's this it's still uh steve rogers saying stuff like language and uh tony stark you know saying anything that tony stark says you've got some of that but you've also got something like hey man we're gonna get on this giant spaceship fly out of here you want to come like just simple stuff like that Basically, anything that has to do with Korg, anything that has to do with uh, Jeff Goldblum as the mass, as the Grand Master, mm, anything mm. that has to do with freaking Rachel House as the guard, which apparently MVP, she's, MVP, apparently let's she's go. Just in Chris all House, Taika Waititi movies that he, you know, does of any kind, we gotta love that. Always a cool thing. <laughs> my on the record, my Taika Waititi film rankings is whichever film she has the most screen time gets the top <laughs> and the least amount is the That's Anyways, awesome. keep going, Colin. Just have to give a shout out to our MVP. Yeah, dude. Um, I just I, I love it, man. I'm that's those are the two big reasons why is because even though it's a Taika Waititi movie, even though it's, or excuse me, even though it's a Marvel movie, you can still tell that it's a Taika Waititi movie. Uh, and I feel like a lot of times when you get to MCU movies, you give, I mean, just look at something like Star Wars, where Ryan Johnson was so, like, handcuffed that he didn't quite make a Ryan Johnson movie, but he also didn't quite make a Star Wars movie. Does that make sense? And I feel like Disney, especially nowadays, is tightening their grip on things so much that the fact that I can still tell that this is a Taika Waititi movie uh, makes me very happy, you know? Makes me a, a happy boy. Makes me a happy camper. Have you guys heard the rumors? This is kind of off topic. I'll get back to Thor Ragnarok. But I heard rumors on film Twitter not too long ago that there's talks of Ryan Johnson getting his own whole trilogy of Star Wars films. I've heard, I've read that too that on, would be on nice. film Twitter. <laughs> I bet it would be way like better. Taika Waititi's still going to get to make his solo Star Wars film, but there's rumors going about that Johnson is going to make his own trilogy Wait. of a solo Star Wars film. Like as in Taika Waititi's own movie or another Han Solo dumpster fire? Uh, the former. I see what... This is the problem with naming your character Han Solo, Mr. Lucas. No, I'm just kidding. George Lucas, big shout-out to you. We know you're an avid listener. We love you, George. Yes, you're the please man. Please do not, under any circumstances, allow... 
Oh god, it's so bad. Uh, so bad. Solo. Yeah, Star Wars, a lot of stuff in the air. R.I.P. Gina Carino, or however you say her name. Lol. What, what I wanted to kind of go off of was Ryan Johnson from some other background materials I've heard. I've heard that the Disney producers really enjoyed working with him. And I think because he's one of those guys who is generally a nice guy to work with on set. He's even friends with film critics, if I remember correctly, which is <laughs> kind of funny to be like, oh, hey, film critics, let's go out to dinner or whatever. <laughs> but um, what was I going to say? Oh, I just got sidetracked with Johnson talk. Let's move back to Caleb. Caleb, Yo. what do you think of Colin's claim about Thor Ragnarok being the best MCU film? Because that's a pretty strong claim. He's obviously not alone in stating that. I think there's a lot of people who would make the argument that Ragnarok is, if not the best MCU film, the top tier, top of that MCU pyramid. What do you think, Caleb? Do you agree, disagree? Where would you kind of rank Thor Ragnarok amongst the MCU filmography? Yeah, so I think it's moved around quite a bit, especially after this viewing. I disagree that it's the... This is the MCU movie that if you're going to watch any of them, this is the best one and you should watch it. I think my posi- positioning of it, uh, if I were to rank the MCU, the MCU movies, it moved up after this viewing. And we'll get to that when we do the ratings where it specifically stands. But I think it's better than I originally gave it credit for. But it for me, it's still not top you know, one top two material. So maybe potentially bronze medalist. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> oh, okay. He's teasing us. He's teasing us. I like that. Dude, very nice. I Caleb. just disagree so very much. Dude, what and movie wanna... is better? Please. Well, there's quite a bit. Oh, okay. What Marvel movie is better? <laughs> walk right into that one. <laughs> well, you're quite a bit much better. <laughs> All right, so Smarty McCalebson, <laughs> I'm excited to compare Ragnarok to the Dark World. Now, Colin, I want to bring this up again for the listeners at home. Colin, have you seen Thor 1 and Thor 2? No. <laughs> but I hardly see and how that's relevant. Not that it's relevant, but... I think there's an a interesting contrast to be made that actually made me appreciate Ragnarok more upon revisiting Thor, especially Thor the Dark World. Is it because the first two movies are mega garbage poo-poo? No, I don't even think that. Like, I don't even think they're bottom-tier MCU movies. Oh, dang, okay. Potentially mid-to-high-tier MCU movies. Caleb, what's the worst Marvel movie? Ooh, here we go. Here we go. I want to hear this. Because you're saying a whole bunch of stuff right now that's, yeah. like, totally random. And you're not telling me what's the best. So maybe I can uh, okay. gain more knowledge by asking you. We're going asking back to you. our 2020 I'll, I'll competition you my, mode. I mean, <laughs> I'll tell you what my Caleb. worst and what the best one is, is if, if, if that's what you want to know. I would like to know. Uh, you know what? Let's go around the room. I was going to ask a question around Bottom this later top. anyway. So... Bottom tier, or bottom... Well, how about this, Colin? Since you've said that Ragnarok is your favorite MCU film, I want to hear what your least favorite MCU film is. Does it have to be one that I've seen? Yes. <laughs> Dang, yeah. I was just going to say Captain Marvel. Uh, 
That, okay, in your defense, Colin, that is a good, that is definitely bottom tier. Like, I'll go ahead and put that on the record. <laughs> okay, uh, the worst Marvel movie that isn't Captain Marvel since I haven't actually seen it. Um. Okay, I have to think about this carefully. I haven't seen quite a few MCU movies. Uh, dude, honestly, though, I'm going to go ahead and say of the movies that I have seen that are my least favorite... Civil War, I would argue, maybe. That's that's kind of low for me just because it's so long and boring. Uh, Captain America 1? I just don't really like the Captain America movies, I guess. Uh, 2 is okay. Actually, you know what? Scratch, scratch all of that. I'm sorry. The worst MCU movie? I totally forgot about the Avengers films. I think it's Avengers... <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's and that says it all. It's got to be Endgame. I'm going on record, man. Wait, I thought you liked Endgame more than Infinity War. Did, What's going wait, on? wait, wait. Did I? I don't remember. Yeah, all of these did, movies. I was the is... only one that ranked or thought more highly of Endgame compared to Infinity War. All right. Well, then in that case, Infinity War. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever past Colin said. Next week to find out what Colin actually thinks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, we'll have a mistakes were made section. Right. Caleb, do you want me to go next, or do you want to say your least favorite and favorite MCU? Film? I'll go next since since Colin was interrogating me about it. So my least favorite is uh, Far From Home. Interesting. Okay. Just okay. The Spider-Man okay. Sequel. I haven't seen the that one, one with our boy Jakey G. Yeah. And then sorry, my... Hall. Yeah, sorry, dude. Didn't quite do it for me. <laughs> Um, and then my number one, ever since it's, it came out, this has been how I've thought about the MCU, what I desire the MCU to always be. That is the original Iron Man. Interesting. All right. Nice. Okay. nice. I, I kind of agree with Caleb. I would put the original Iron Man over Thor Ragnarok myself. Okay. Like, I'll admit, Iron, the original Iron Man kind of falls apart in the third act when it kind of becomes more of a, oh, we need a more central villain. Jeff Bridges, get in a suit. Okay, let's go. Iron Man suit time. But there's a lot of good stuff going on as far as the kind of origin story element of taking the eccentric Tony Stark and kind of molding his character into what would become Iron Man that I think is really interesting. And I don't think a lot of these MCU origin story films like Captain Marvel, Doctor Strange, uh, Spider-Man, is Homecoming? Yeah, Homecoming. Homecoming. I don't think those quite hit the same beats, the same compelling emotional elements that the first Iron Man did back in 08. Right. So I think I think I like Iron Man 1 a lot more than Thor Ragnarok, but I don't know if I would call it my favorite MCU film. I think my favorite MCU film is probably the 2011 film Captain America, The First Avenger. Nice. I kind of like the pulpy nature that film takes. It's very, you know, it goes for the whole, oh, World War II, America's going to save the day, and we're the underdogs, and we got to fight the Nazis. And it has a very comfy, safe, family-friendly vibe that's very much what you would picture 50s, 60s comic books being sold to kids at stores going for aesthetically. I really like Chris Evans as Steve Rogers. I think he does a great job. And I like... Rogers as a character, he's just kind of a good guy who, you know, he wants to stop bullies. That's his thing. He's knows what it's like to be picked on, and he wants to make sure other people aren't picked on. And I find something kind of compelling with that orange 
orange story <laughs> with that orange juice. No, the origin story that I really enjoyed. Like Iron Man, I think that's another one where it falls apart in the third act. But if I were to pick a favorite MCU film, I think I would go with First Avenger. Fascinating. Nice. And did you All say right. your worst one, Jack? I think my least favorite is probably the first Ant-Man movie. Just oh, wow. I don't know. It's, That's surprising. Apart from that really good part where they're fighting in the briefcase and they hit the Siri button on the iPhone, he goes, I'm going to disintegrate you, and the Cure song starts playing. There wasn't <laughs> much about the first Ant-Man that really... But then again, Greg Turkenham's in it. Oh, maybe I should, maybe I should reconsider this. Okay, here's the deal. I'm not going to answer this just yet, but I would say <laughs> Captain Marvel, <laughs> Spider-Man Homecoming, and the first Ant-Man movie... Those three are the trifecta of what I think is bottom, bottom tier. Nice. Spider-Man nice. Homecoming like... you think is bottom tier? Yeah, uh, I, do, yeah, I disagree with Doctor that. The first Doctor Strange movie. Okay, yeah. it's, a, it's a four four movies. I first disagree Doctor with both Strange of those, Jack. You think Doctor Strange is bottom tier? Jack. What a waste yeah, that's of Mads Mikkelsen. Could add more of him. I'm... But I also, like, I'm coming from this from the perspective of... By the time Phase 3 was rolling out, my momentum interest in the Marvel movies was kind of dying down, too. So that's kind of why some of my favorites are the earlier films, where there was that, you know, not really knowing that potential of what is this series going to be. Now, that being said, I do like some of the newer ones. I think Black Panther and Guardians 2 have very strong elements. I think Thor Ragnarok has strong elements. But no, I think Phase 3 is definitely where this entire series kind of... I lost interest personally. Jack, I need to pull out an old favorite from many, many years ago, but follow me on this quote, if you will. Dan, I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh. Also, now that I've looked at an extensive list of all of the Marvel films up to date, uh, I can without a doubt say that my least favorite one that I have seen. Oh, this is still really hard. Uh, I think I'm still going to have to go with Infinity War, dude. Dang. Ouch. Feels yeah, bad. Yeah, Infinity War is pretty are, bad. Are we, counting, I'll, I'll toast to that. are we counting The Incredible Hulk? Does that count as an yeah. MCU movie? I've, I see people count it all the time. Okay, then maybe it's The Incredible Hulk. <laughs> Which I still haven't <laughs> seen that one. It's very fine. <laughs> I, I do think it says a lot about these films as a series, that it's kind of easier for us to go around and, oh, it's easy to pick the bad ones out than the good ones. Which is why I think we're covering Thor Ragnarok versus some of the other films in the MCU. Does that kind of make sense, Colin? Yes, top-tier movie. I, <laughs> I know. It's just, it's the it towers over the rest of those films. I don't know that it towers, but oh, it I think towers. it's interesting to discuss on a podcast. We are talking Return of the King... Versus, like, Home Alone here, dude. That's a bad example. I mean, Home Alone's a great movie, but, I mean, I would say it's only, like, a star or two higher than Return of the... No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> a little, little, little jab there. I kind of want to go back. Let's let's continue the Thor Ragnarok discussion by going back to something Caleb said earlier that I okay. wanted to dive into. Now, Caleb, you talked a little bit about how, now that you've seen Jojo Rabbit, you've seen Hunt for the Wilder People, you have a stronger grasp of what Taika Waititi's like as a filmmaker, that you kind of came out of this rewatch with a greater appreciation for the film, correct? Correct, yeah. Because I wanted to kind of latch onto that and share a similar thought I had, in that 
rewatching Thor Ragnarok, and I'm curious what you and Colin will think of this, I can't help but think that there's an alternative parallel dimension universe where our boy TW is creating all of the Avengers spinoffs and movies like Infinity War and Endgame over the Russo brothers. And maybe this is one of those, the grass is always greener type of things, but I think if Taika was more in charge of these movies, they would be better personally than the Russos. And that's not to like diss on the Russos and be like, oh, they suck, wow, 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 wow. But I think Taika does some really good stuff interconnecting the different characters together to where I can't help but think, wow, what a different direction the whole MCU arc would be on if he kind of had more leeway and was more in charge, which I think is something Colin was hitting on earlier, too. I mean, I have to agree with that. I would be more interested in an MCU that had Watiti's flair as opposed to the Russo brothers as, as great. I feel like what what was needed from the Russo brothers was their ability to tell chapters of stories and to piece them together over a long period of time because they've came they come from television. You need that that as a strength, which Watiti has, and I think he's shown he shows that in his ability to write for what we do in the shadows. He's done a little bit of the Mandalorian now, so like I think that's there. I just think the Russo brothers had a stronger background at the time that the MCU was gaining traction. No, and I think this kind of sends us into a direction I want to talk about in regards to where Thor Ragnarok fits into this whole entire series because you're kind of right about the Russo brothers. They got their origin, they got their start in television, working with Community and other TV shows, and the Russos very much have that, you know, hand-for-hire feel of they're ready to listen to some producers. The producers will say, hey, here are the 10 things we need to cover in each film. Go do it. And they're going to get it done, knock it out of the park. They're kind of a safe bet. While with Taika Waititi, he's much more of a, I don't know if I would use the word like creative visionary or anything that hyperbolic, but, but you know, he is an artist. He wants to create something a little bit out there, something with a little bit more flavor. He wants to put his personality into these movies. And I think the best example of this is in Hunt for the Wilder People, you have the tragic scene where Sam Neill's character's wife dies and they cut to the funeral and then Taika, the filmmaker, the director, pops out as a character and makes a joke about Jesus. Well, that kind of happens again in Thor Ragnarok. You see the destruction of Asgard, this whole home for Thor and Loki that we've seen over three movies blow up, it's set on fire. And then look, it's Taika Waititi, the director, the creator, the filmmaker, and here he is as his character Korg. Well, if it's got a good foundation, you won't have to worry. We can rebuild it. And then it continues to burn, and he goes, nope, there it goes. It's a very interesting kind of parallel of a filmmaker doing his own little comedy bit on his two separate films and two separate worlds by also inserting himself into the joke. It's really interesting from a certain perspective. I agree. Yeah. What so when you say interesting from a filmmaking perspective, do you just think it's interesting when a director makes cameos at all? Well, I think it's it's something of a filmmaker kind of inserting his own style of comedy into the text in a way that kind of calls back and connects to his other works, which is really interesting and and almost rewarding for fans like us who haven't just seen Thor Ragnarok, but we've also seen Wilder People or What We Do in the Shadows or Jojo Rabbit, yada, yada. Does that kind of make sense where I'm going there? Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. And I think what what 
it's super fascinating to me is how successful Watiti was with Jojo Rabbit compared to Hunt for the Wilder People and Thor Ragnarok. Because Jojo Rabbit, he was supporting actor in and got a Best Picture nom, got a, a, a award for adapted screenplay. Like it got a lot mm-hmm, of notoriety mm-hmm. compared to his uh, other films, I would say. Not that his other films are weaker. In some respects, I think there are stronger elements in some of his other works. But Jojo Rabbit, with him in it, as prominently as he was, like it worked really well. And I definitely like where where you're, where you're going with that topic, Jack. Yeah, and kind of the other side of that is with the Russo brothers, like I said, they were a safe bet. You know, Kevin Feige and his team said, okay, here's where we want the story to go to get to Infinity War Endgame. Here's what you need to do. And they did it. Taika has to do the same thing. You know, he has to introduce Bruce Banner and Hulk back into the series. Where have they been? Yeah. He has to kind of connect a bunch of threads together to get us to Infinity War. But he also does it with his own blend of style that I think really hits home with audience members like Colin in a way that audience makes people think like, like Colin. <laughs> yeah, audience dwellers. Because Colin, you weren't super hung up on MCU films till Thor Ragnarok. Oh, Is that no. a fair thing for me to say? Oh, yeah. I do, I do not like... Uh, those MCU films. I do not like them with a kiln. Never mind. I was going to try to do a, a limerick, but I failed. Um, <laughs> that's okay. I, I did happens. not like those MCU films. Let's see. That's already too many syllables. Oh, I teach English, everybody. Anyway. And one thing that I think is important to examine with Thor Ragnarok is the influence that the positive reception of Guardians of the Galaxy had on it as well. Because Thor Ragnarok really hits home on a lot of the more sci-fi, space adventure elements that you see in Guardians of the Galaxy 1. True. And it's interesting, if you look back at the production history, it's very obvious they didn't even start writing the script till right around the time Guardians of the Galaxy became a huge hit. Mm. Because they didn't... They had the tagline Ragnarok ready to go... But then I think they saw the success of Guardians of the Galaxy and said, ooh, we should take this more of a sci-fi space direction. I agree. And if you've noticed, a lot of their upcoming MCU projects, they don't really have the taglines anymore. Black what Panther 2. Uh, yeah. I, Uh-oh. I see, <laughs> I see what you're saying, yeah. Well, just because I've got well, this all Wait, what here. about Thor... Isn't it like Love and Thunder or something like yeah, that? Yeah, Thor, Love and Thunder. True, but that one Captain also is two. a Taika Waititi sure. like love project. That's one he's working on. But but it used to be, you know, phase one of MCU went really well. Okay, what's a popular Captain America comic series? Oh, The Winter Soldier. So we're just going to title it Captain America, Winter Soldier, write the script. What was a popular Thor comic? Thor Ragnarok. So we'll title it. You know, Civil War was a popular comic series, but I think you start to see them kind of straying away from that here because they're kind of doing a little bit more intermixing and mingling with sure. the different characters. And I, I think that's a good direction for the MCU to go in. I think it's a little bit more riskier. I think there's potential there that is really going to grab some of the skeptics, like like Colin was. He used to not be super into yeah. these films, but you know, Thor Ragnarok showed him there's still hope. There's still hope. Yeah, I, I kind of want to lean a little bit into Thor Ragnarok a bit more and talk a little bit specific about maybe the B-plot. Yeah, I'm down to go kind of where Caleb's Caleb's pointing towards. We, we've talked a lot about this film in 
regards to the scope of where it fits into with its sister and brother films, you know, its neighbor MCU films. But let's talk about the actual kind of core of what Thor Ragnarok is. Talk a little bit about the narrative and the story and what we liked, dislike about this film. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk about this because initially I had a pretty harsh reaction to the Hela plot line. Um, I thought, I've always thought that it's been very underdeveloped in this movie. And like they were trying to do a little bit too much in one story. Like either commit to being a chapter in between the events of what's going to come in Infinity War and what happened before Ragnarok or mm-hmm. just be your own movie and tell, and tell your own story. I felt like it was for a lot, for a while I felt like it was trying to do too much of both. I still think that, but I don't, I'm not as critical about that in, in anymore because I love everything that happens on Sakaar. I think Sakaar is like a gold mine of content for, for the MCU. Now with, with Asgard and everything that happened there with Hela, it felt very rushed to me. Like everything that happened with Loki and then uh, Odin and then discovering Hela and then her getting, and just all that happened so quickly. I felt like, especially coming off of a rewatch of the dark world, it was very disorienting going from these characters, this world that I came to love and, and wanted more of to it. Now it's being completely destroyed it just was so sudden and happened so fast. And, and I know it needed to for the events that were to happen in Infinity War. But I just wish we got a little bit more time with Asgard, Thor's friends, for example. And even some of the other characters um, that, that were even presented in Ragnarok, such as Hela herself. Yeah, and I like where you're going in regards to the comparison of this film versus you know, Thor 2, The Dark World, because The Dark World is very much, I mean, the first Thor movies like this too, but they're very much films about the Asgardians. Right. Like, yeah, they're Thor movies, but with the exception of Jane Foster and some of her human friends back on Earth, yeah. the film is about the Asgard, the Asgard crew. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Thor Ragnarok, it still kind of is about Asgard as a culture, but so much of the film is either not set on Asgard or apart from Thor and Loki, and I guess Valkyrie, it doesn't really involve the Asgard community, Asgard culture. It's kind of a, you go back and forth between yeah. fun space adventures with Thor and the gang on Sakaar, but then you also right. fling back to Asgard where, oh, here's a bad guy introduced in this film, and she's causing problems, and oh no. So I want to ask you this um, to Colin. I want to direct this question towards... Colin, because you haven't seen the first Thor or second nope. Thor movie, <laughs> how did you feel about this kind of duality between the two main plot lines going on here? So I, uh, I actually enjoyed it because I feel like if the whole movie had taken place on Asgard, I wouldn't have liked it as much. Uh, and also, if the whole movie had just been wacky space adventure on Sakaar, which the majority of it is, but there's just enough of it that's serious. To where that I can take the movie seriously, that someone kind of that that a journey was went on and that something was accomplished. Um, I appreciated it. I liked the kind of duality. I didn't mind so much because I thought that yes, Hello might be kind of a pulled out of your butt villain, <laughs> but like 
at the end of the day, this movie didn't really need more than a pull-out-of-your-butt villain. It's not like Thor was going to take on Thanos or something by himself, or that Thor was going to... Here's the and the other thing is I don't know exactly who all the villains are in the Thor comics. So of all the infinite possibilities, sure. I don't know either. Exactly, like I don't know who his A tier villains are. It's not like he's Batman where we actually know who his villains are, uh, mm-hmm. because unfortunately, outside of comic book avid comic book readers, you know, I feel like the general population may not know who. Beta Ray Bill is, who appeared on the building in Sakaar, and everyone was like, oh my god, look, it's Beta Ray Bill, he's gonna be the next Thor when, what's his name, or when, when, uh, anyway. I, long story short, I don't think that you needed anything other than what we got, which is, uh, you know, Galadriel going through, kicking butt, taking names, (laughs) falling for the oldest trick in the book, getting stabbed by a giant fire sword. (laughs) Well... And you say we don't, you don't think we needed any more than what we got. And I guess what I'm saying is like, what we got was a little messy in, with respect to the the hella time, the hella plot. Um, oh. Especially as someone that viewed Thor Ragnarok without viewing Thor 1 and 2, you know, these guys by the, the gate to, or the, <laughs> by the rainbow bridge to asgard immediately get killed yeah, off the warriors like, three uh who cares about you're you're probably like i don't know who they are who cares and it's sad to me that that was the point <laughs> that that was the point aren't that, they like, big deals like you could watch that and that could happen on screen and you could just be like oh shoot eh, it doesn't matter Let, let's just keep going yeah they're dead oh no <laughs> Well, there's almost a metatextual thing going on there because, you know, one of the guys who gets killed really quickly by Hello when she first comes Levi. through, no. he he basically gets stabbed out of the MCU universe, signs contract with DC, yeah. and now he's ca- uh, not Captain Marvel, uh, Shazam. Yeah, like so. that's right. <laughs> genius, dude. Hey, I'm going to go be a different superhero. Uh, is there a chance I could die unexpectedly? <laughs> you, you really start to see the corporate hands pulling the strings there. And, and that's and what I, I don't like about it. Yeah, I, I'm with you there, Caleb. I, I and neither did agree. Taika, which is why he made it so snappy. All right, we got to kill this guy. All right, he's dead. Moving on. Yeah, no, Colin is right, though. That is a good counterpoint. If they're going to do it, at least they don't add it to, like, a big 10, 15-minute sure. dramatic arc oh, or something. Sure. Exactly and I'm not asking for anything dead. like that. I'm just saying, like, going from the Dark World into Ragnarok is very disorienting. And I think there's something to talk about there. Especially as it relates to comic books and how you go from one series or edition to the next, and it's kind of a different um, theme or vibe or what or, or what have you, and th- and that's okay because they're comic books. So it's like, how do you take that feeling and apply it to the silver screen? I don't I don't know. I'm not. I haven't gotten adjusted to that yet. Yeah, I think you both are hitting on some good things on the topic of. You know, not just how the film relates to the MCU, but how it relates to the Thor movies that came before. Because this film is very... I think messy is the right word, Caleb, but I also don't necessarily think that's the most nuanced approach to this. Because what I would say is this film is very plot-heavy. Oh, yes, yes. 
this this film has a lot of plot going on, and there's a lot to kind of, you know, move on through and get through, and characters got to spout exposition, and, you know, go from point A to B to C, and, you know, okay, Hela's going to Asgard, let me explain it to my captors, let me explain it to Valkyrie, let me explain it to Bruce Banner. So there's just a lot of, you know, things going on to where sometimes it feels like a good fourth-third of the exposition of the conversations between characters is kind of explaining what's going on again. So, Messi is definitely, if not necessarily the skeptical way to approach it, definitely a perspective to have in regards to how you view the film's narrative, but I would just say the film is very heavy on a more kind of neutral When I say messy, I want to clarify specifically I'm referring to the Hela plotline, not necessarily what's taking place on Sakaar. Okay, that right, right. I get that, but that I, makes but more I, sense. I would I say the like, film as a whole is I, what y'all were arguing, or what I thought Jack was saying was like, "Oh, the Sakar plot is very messy." I was like, "What are you talking about? It doesn't get simpler. It's like he's got to escape to go back to Asgard." But I see what Caleb is saying now about the Hella I, I plotline. Okay, I, I think it becomes messy when you combine it all together. But I don't necessarily think saying, oh, this film is bad because it's messy, is a fair criticism. I think viewing it from the terms of, oh, there's just a lot going on, kind of provides a more grounded sure. sense of Yeah, I, I think you you're right. That is more nuanced and a better way of saying it, or a better, a better criticism. I have to agree. Because my argument here is, you know, I didn't really like this film on my first watch. What on the rewatch that Colin, you know, has introduced to us for this podcast what type of things am I looking for? And it's kind of approaching it from, okay, don't be so negative, Jack. You know what's going to happen. Try to, like, find the silver lining and find the things you enjoy. And I can definitely do that and had a good time with the film. And I think in re- reflecting on what I might not have liked about the film originally, that's kind of one of the first things that comes to mind. Because I do think there's an argument to be made that this is a very plot-heavy film. There's a lot going on. And it's not always easy to digest, whether you're someone who's new to MCU films or someone who's really into them or someone who just loves film in general. And that's not to say, oh, this film is bad because there's so much going on and there's a lot of exposition. That's not really the point I'm trying to make. I just think it's worth noting in regards to the conversation of what may or may not work in regards to this film on a purely narrative level. Mm. Okay. What do y'all think of the pacing in this movie? Like, in terms of downtime to action time, how do y'all think the pacing was? Did y'all think that it was good, it was bad? Do y'all have any comments I'm so glad you brought that? this up, because this, this was going to be the next place I went. But since I just talked for a long time, I want, I want Caleb to give his answer first. Yeah. So, and I'm glad you brought this up, too, because I want to talk about a com- another comparison I want to make to a separate universe and group of films okay. and that is star wars uh-oh so remember star remember, yeah, remember star wars <laughs> so when i rewatched thor the the dark world i was like wow this has a lot of like star wars like the things that i love about star wars in this universe and in this story and, and even in the pacing of it and i have to say the same thing about ragnarok now and I'm, I really want, I kind of want you to watch the Dark World, Colin, just so you can see what I'm talking about. But I, I, I appreciate the pacing of Thor, the Dark World and Ragnarok 
because it reminds me of what it was like to experience Star Wars for for the first time. Interesting. Okay. Reminds this this movie reminds you specifically. Is that what you're saying? No, the pacing or, of it, the, the the feel of like getting into the action and the getting into the character, like it had a very similar. So that there's a similarity for me between what it was like to engage with Star Wars for the first time and what it was like to engage with the Dark World and Ragnarok on these, on this specific viewing of of these films. Not that they're. I still think Star Wars is better, but it, it reminded me of that experience. Does that make sense, Colin? Yes, it does. I do understand that. I uh, and, and, So go ahead, Jack. Well, I was going to say, I, I think it's a good comparison in the sense that there's a lot of give and take you can do in regards to you know, what makes these series similar and different from each other. Mm-hmm. For example, okay. I think a lot about how in... Return of the Jedi, yeah, you get an introduction to Jabba the Hutt and Jabba's palace, but it's not quite as big or bombastic as an intro as you get to the Grandmaster sure. in Thor Ragnarok. And this <laughs> kind of goes back to Colin's original question about pacing, because you can make an argument about what part of the story the Grandmaster comes in should determine how they introduce him versus where they introduce Jabba and his crew in Return of the Jedi. Right. So I like where you're going in regards to that and kind of opening up these two big cultural touchstones of very popular media and pop culture films mm-hmm. and kind of what makes them similar or different. So I like where you're going with that. Colin, did you want to add something to that too? No, well, what I was going to say was I, I one of the reasons I like this movie is because I never felt – bored at any point throughout it uh i was either being bombarded with something funny i was being bombarded with like some interesting well-written dialogue i was being bombarded with action scenes very well choreographed very well animated action scenes that have impact and i can feel the thunder hitting things and visually they were just great even some of like the rubbery cgi which is very prominent in a lot of mcu movies even, like, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. rubbery Matrix fighting, or, sorry, Neo fighting a bunch of Claymation, Smith-style things that happened a couple of times, I thought, wow, these at least are animated well enough that the motion on screen looks cool, even though they have no right to look that bad, <laughs> uh, based on how much money they cost to make. But, like, all of those things, it all served the purpose of entertaining me, the viewer. And we all know it's all about me. The viewer. <laughs> Obviously, it's all about me. So if I was entertained the entire time, that's what matters. And that's kind of what I was getting at here. Sure. Is did you feel the need to play a phone game? Maybe that should be a segment. Because <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I played no phone games during this movie. Nice, we all know nice. that is big two thumbs up for, for me. That, that's really you don't even need five stars Thor Ragnarok that's that's really the praise yeah, you need for real <laughs> honestly saying you can watch a film 15 times too is I think big praise in a lot of ways oh definitely now Colin I'm, I'm gonna answer your pacing question here in a moment but before I do that I wanted to kind of interrogate something you were talking about in regards to the CGI and the action because in our Endgame Infinity War discussion you talked a lot about how there's a lot of bad moments of CGI oh. and bad effects oh, yeah. that just really take you out oh, of it. Oh, yeah. The rhinos. Woo. Woo. 
<laughs> well, what I wanted to kind of hit at was, I think a lot of times, and and this, I don't know, Caleb, you could comment on this too. I think a lot of times, Colin, you like to be the champion of the people. Like, oh, Caleb and Jack, they don't like what regular people like. I like what regular people like. But I, I think the problem is, is you don't like Infinity War and Endgame as much as the mass audience is. So I guess if you were to kind of play like, you know, the people's Lincoln-Douglas debate style, hey, get away from Infinity War, go to Thor Ragnarok, what would you tell the people, you know? What's your kind of martyrdom moment of truth that you really want to nail? You've talked about the aesthetics, the colors, you've talked about the humor, the comedy, but what are some other elements apart from the CGI and effects that make this film better than Infinity War? Why should people care more about Thor Ragnarok versus Infinity War? Number one reason you should care more about Thor Ragnarok than Infinity War. It's way shorter. First first of all, I don't care who you are, I don't care what planet you're from, 90-minute movies, awesome. Two-hour movies, okay, pretty good. Three-hour movies plus, you better be a damn good movie to earn that three hours. Did Infinity (laughs) War earn that three hours of your time? Absolutely not. But did Thor Ragnarok earn that cool, crisp, whatever it was, like 2.15 or so minutes of your time? It did. It was leaner. It was smoother. It was just plain better. Okay? Now, Jack, do you want me to be more specific as to, like, if I'm selling this to the average person, hey. Well, before you before you do that, I mean, I do want you to do that, but it's also worth noting, Colin, on the topic of length, that Infinity War is really only 20 minutes longer than Thor Ragnarok. I just looked it up. Oh, man, 20 minutes. Well, hey, that 20 minutes did some heavy lifting in Infinity War, should I say, didn't do its own heavy lifting, Right, right, and that's kind of what I wanted to say, too, is that 20 minutes felt longer than 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. And I think that's kind of what you're hitting at. But, yeah, if you want to go back to, like, you know, representing the people or whatever you wanted to do, like, like go, go for that, because I'm definitely... Yeah, I want to hear this. I, I'm invested in that. You're invested in what? In your answer about why you think, you know, oh, part oh. of the, why you think... Why is, why is it just generally better? Why should you care about this movie more than... The other MCU movies? Here's the reality. Oh boy, here we and go. Caleb, feel free to hop in on this if you'd okay. like. <laughs> the reality is, is no matter what we say on this stupid little podcast, most people are going to say they either like... Well, they are probably going to say they like Infinity War more than Lawless. Uh, why? <laughs> Those people are incorrect and are illiterate. But aren't those the average... Isn't that the average person? No, I disagree. Oh, okay. I don't think the average person's seen Lawless. Maybe we need to champion Lawless more on this podcast. Well, and I guess what I'm trying to interrogate you on, Colin, is what's the intersection? Like, if Lawless is the top of the mountain, Infinity War is the bowls of crap, whatever. I I think what you mean, Serial Mom is the top of the mountain. And oh, wow. Now, Serial Mom is up in space. Like oh, I see. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, then in that case, Lawless is the mountain. Don't worry, John Waters fans. Your Serial Mom talk is coming. It's coming, I promise. <laughs> but well, let me say this, Colin. It, it's very obvious that 
Infinity War is bad at the bottom. Thor Ragnarok is a lot better. A lot of the serial mom are at the top. Why does Thor Ragnarok make it closer to the greats in your in the Colin Fleetwood canon? You know. Look, at the end of the day, no, I'm not going to start it off like that. That's a stupid way to start it <laughs> off. Okay, this is how I'll start it off. Thor Ragnarok has a special spice in it. Okay. And I really believe that that spice comes directly from our boy, our man, the myth, the legend, Taika Waititi. Mark Ruffalo. Oh, wait. Taika God, Waititi. Shut <laughs> up. We got to stay Taika focused Waititi. now. We got to remember what's important. Um, as far as the MCU movies go, I personally think that a lot of the time those movies are kind of boring. Okay. Um, they kind of all have this same feel, they kind of all look the same, they have the same, uh, editing style, they have the same basic, basic plot line, they have the same weird, strange animation effects, and in the MCU film category, I think this movie has unique visuals that are not found anywhere else in those movies which is why i say hey if you like mcu movies but you just think maybe i don't like them you know as much as uh, something else then i would point you to this film i would point you to thor ragnarok because and this is true it like it, it it's a step above it what am i trying to say what's the word it transcends Here, let me let me hop MCU in let me hop films. in tag me in tag me in you're boss. in boss <laughs> I, I think kind of earlier when I was talking about this film being very heavy on the plot and from the skeptic perspective messy, I think you the kind of flip side of that, the argument you make in regards to the pro Thor to Ragnarok team is this film has a lot of strong conceptual ideas that are really pleasant to view in regards to not just the MCU filmography but popular films. You know, you watch a space gladiator competition play out in this really expensive movie you see a bunch of spaceships and cool costumes and designs so you kind of start to see conceptually some really cool things that not just hit a high aesthetic mark but also hit that comic book wonder mark and they really come into their own as a singular film does that kind of is that kind of the direction you were going with that Colin? yes this movie stands out because I can watch it on its own without having seen Thor 1 and Thor 2 and still love it this much. Whereas the other... Because I think there's an argument to be made that the set pieces and kind of core concepts that make up this film have maybe a more almost memorable taste that are very intriguing versus some of the other MCU films you may have seen. Yes. that 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 is the more english way of saying what i have said well thank you sir thank you caleb do you want to add anything to that i know colin and i were kind of going pretty heavy there no i don't think i have anything more to say on that now real quick i want to go a little bit rewind a little bit back to colin's original question about pacing in this film because that was something that i took some major notes about and i think what's important is pacing is it's a weird type of What's the word I'm looking for? It's a weird type of film criticism because it can mean a lot of things. At the end of the day, pacing is 
You know, how do you get from point A to point B and what that means for the film you're watching? But I want to talk about it on a more kind of specific area of the editing in this film. To me, pacing is more of a beat for beat. How do you get from one beat to the next beat as opposed to... Right, right. I like where you're going with that. And in the art of filmmaking, how else do you exemplify that beat in the art of the cut? Oh, yeah, The art of the edit. Because for me... And this isn't limited to Thor Ragnarok. I felt this way in Infinity War and Endgame as well. But for me, there was something about the editing in this movie that kind of felt a little uncanny. There was something about it that didn't work for me, and it felt very off. And I couldn't exactly put it into words until one scene in particular happened. And that was the scene where Hela's taken Carl Urban throughout the throne room. What's his name? Scruggs? The Executioner? Uh, Billy Butcher? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Caleb, I see what you did there. Uh, scourge. Yeah, yeah. So she's taking him throughout the throne room, and she gets the big hammer, smashes the ground, that big hole appears, she jumps in. Do you guys remember that? Oh, yeah, 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 where she goes down to the uh, vault area. So this is the first time where I really kind of nailed down about the editing what was bugging me, because we start with a wide shot of Carl Urban's character being about 10 to 15 yards away from her in the hole. And in the wide shot, she jumps down into the hole, and he's still 10, 15 yards away. We cut to a close-up on the hole, so we haven't seen Carl Urban move towards the hole, but then we cut to a close-up of Carl Urban's face, and the shot is angled kind of below his chest, and shows him kind of look down. And I realized, we as audiences of the film that we're watching have never watched carl urban walk towards the hole okay okay yeah <laughs> colin's face is great here <laughs> so what i'm trying to say is in regards to pacing i think that's what felt off to me is it almost like skip steps and i have another example that i want to go <laughs> colin looks so colin. smug he's like jack how about this colin let me give you one more example and see if you're still a little you know however you're so just hold now. that position so just <laughs> uh. So the second thing I noticed, and after this I stopped taking notes because I was like, I'll be writing all day. (laughs) This will turn into a five-hour viewing. But the second thing I noticed is during the scene where Hulk makes his big reveal and comes out, you see members of the Sakaar audience with their Hulk mask, right? They're all like, yeah, the gladiator. (laughs) So that that shows that Watiti and his crew filmed extras holding those Hulk masks. Sure. Well, as the fight goes on and they have their big clash... Thor eventually comes out on top and uses his powers to knock the Hulk over. Now, they cut to a very long, extreme wide shot of the audiences where they're clearly CGI'd, <sighs> and they start cheering, God of Thunder, no, God of no, Thunder. No, they, they, Lord, Lord of Thunder, or whatever, because he gets introduced. My apologies, yeah, Lord of you, Thunder. My, my apologies, Colin. Will you forgive me? No, I won't, but keep going. Okay, so Lord of Thunder. So Thor knocks Hulk out. They cut to this very extreme wide where they're obviously CGI audiences. They start going, Lord of Thunder, Lord of Thunder. Here's my problem. Oh my they God. already shot the extras wearing the Hulk mask. It would have taken two or three frames to show those same audience members throwing their Hulk mask on the ground and getting excited like the pod race scene in Phantom Menace. I, I kind of have to agree with that last example. Are you that, that's freaking a really interesting comparison. Me? That is the, And at this point I drop the mic, walk off. That is the most <laughs> nitpicky 
nitpicky, ridiculous criticism I've ever heard levied well, well, on this podcast. Colin, think think about the world building between, especially with his last think example about, with like the pod the racing scene. Between this shit, baby man. Oh, my wife got a tattoo. It's being debuted. Oh, <laughs> Why is this so freaking <laughs> random? <laughs> Here, leave the sin, Kale. This is good. Okay. Nice. Awesome. Caleb, I'm glad you agree with me, though. That makes me happy. You guys are the worst. Okay? Well, Let me I get go back, back to, to my original example, point Jack. of yelling. One of their wives got a nose ring. Ah, one of your wives got a nose ring, nerds. Caleb doesn't have a wife, so everybody knows who you're talking about, you <laughs> idiot. <laughs> Sorry, Caleb, I didn't mean it, to rub in that it, you're it single. It shows them throwing mm-hmm. down their Hulk masks at the end of the... the the fight scene dude it we didn't get to see carl urban walk to the edge of the hole bruh really like that is your focus there i just i can see how that might draw the you as the viewer out of the like the viewing like the what like you're watching it and then that happens and you're like Oh, I feel kind of drawn out of this for a second, as opposed to a very natural, fluid transition and edit into that next. So, like, Jack, put those hands away. (laughs) I that that to me is a very common filming shortcut. Like that, the fact that we're like, oh, we didn't see him walk to the edge of the. Like, if we, if we start applying that level of criticism, like, that's borderline cinema sins if you took it seriously, but, uh, criticism. I, I, like, I think we didn't see him walk to the edge of the hole. How do we know he didn't just teleport there? Is that one of his superpowers? Like, Well, I think that Jack's point is more of a example towards a larger point about the editing of the film. Am I wrong, Jack? So here's the deal. Earlier, Colin asked us as a podcast, what do we think of the edit, the pacing of the film? Okay. That's what I think of the pacing of the film. I think when Colin said there were shortcuts used, I think it's obvious there were shortcuts used. That's what I think. Okay. Does that make this a bad movie? I don't think so, but does that explain why I might not love this film as much as Colin? I think it does. Ugh. I hope. I'm not. I'm not. I can see that. We'll have to see I'm what not... Gabe thinks. My teammate, my comrade. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Gabe. He's gonna be our first guest next episode. Let's go. Yeah. Oh my god. Get excited, ladies and gents. Yeah. We're gonna have to wait. Wait to hear what, what I'm Gabe to say has to say about this. Is it's not that I think the editing is bad in Thor Ragnarok. I just think the fact that you use the term shortcuts kind of describes a certain undertone in regards to the pacing of this film that is worth talking about in regards to the form. Because we've spent a lot of time talking about the plot, the narrative, the text. And I think sometimes it's good and healthy as film watchers to examine those production qualities, those formal qualities like the cuts and the edits. Okay, but dude, you don't, like, in Legend... Okay. Let's think about this like in terms of a video game. You don't question in Legend of Zelda when you hit a loading screen, like, oh, how did Link get from 
the beach all the way back to the castle. Like, you don't question that shortcut, that, that time lapse. Just like you don't question... You don't question how uh, characters will get to another place because you're like, oh, it's a movie. They walked there. I don't need to see that because nothing important was happening. I don't need to see Scourge walk to the edge of the hole. I don't need to see... I I don't know, man. I just... I don't, I don't need to see... The shortcuts taken are so normal and so natural that it's just film shorthand for things. And I don't think you should hold that against a movie. I mean, I, I kind of agree with you, but I also think Infinity and End, Infinity War and Endgame takes some of those shortcuts too. And I think I would rather rewatch Infinity War Endgame to try to catch those shortcuts than actually enjoy the story. Yeah, but that Jack, what is, what is, what what what? What does that have to do with what we're talking about? The pacing of Thor Ragnarok and the. Well, I'm kind of doing this kind of awkward thing where I'm segueing back to my comment earlier about what makes Thor Ragnarok better than Infinity War Endgame, because I agree with you. I think it's better than Infinity War Endgame. But I also think there are certain things worth analyzing that I find fun to analyze and have a good time viewing those things. Because, like I said, I'm not here to say, oh, this is what makes this a good or bad film. I just felt like there was something off and uncanny about the presentation of the film, and it didn't really click to me specifically what it was till I noticed the throne room scene or the scene with the Hulk mask. Okay. Well, as usual, I'm here to tell you that you're wrong, and that's <laughs> all we can do, I guess. <laughs> well, 90% wait, no, Colin... of why we're here... Hold on, Caleb. 90% okay. of why we're here is because you asked me what I thought of the pacing, and that is my answer. <laughs> oh, but Jack, the answer doesn't make any sense. Well, and, it, and this might help clarify some things. Like, Colin, what you're trying to say to Jack is, at least what I hear you saying, is, Jack, this isn't that important. Move on to something else. That <laughs> is what I'm saying. Boom. <laughs> and Jack's like, well, I'm answering your question, dude. So, <laughs> But that's not... But that's not a... I don't know. I just feel like that shouldn't be a strike against a movie. And Jack is... You're treating it like a strike against the movie. True, but I don't think it makes the film bad. Okay. All right. That's good. <laughs> you know how testy I get about Thor Ragnarok. Hey, it's good. The listeners need to know. I think Caleb hit it well there because what might not be important for you in the film is important for me. And why else would we have film discussion if it wasn't right. to discuss the differing values? Jack, are you suggesting that my film opinion isn't the only one that matters? No. Well, so you are suggesting that my opinion... Okay, got it. I, for, a, <laughs> for a second there, I, was, I thought you meant that, you know... Everyone else's opinion matters. You are obviously didn't. the god tier Dr. Pepper, and I am just being the diet Dr. Pepper, the alternative. Oh, but dude, diet Dr. Pepper is arguably better than regular. I, I he said it. He said it better. Oh, he got me. And it's on recording. Oh, God. I've been beaten. Uh, oh. All right. End the episode. Right. No, let's do this because I think we hit some good things there in regards to editing and form and pacing. Let's all kind of conclude this conversation as we transition to final thoughts on the movie because we're, we're going a little long, which I love. I love talking about movies. So the way I see it, why sure. limit ourselves to an yeah. hour? Let's talk about movies all damn day, baby. Let's all discuss one of our favorite parts of this movie as we transition into final thoughts. Caleb, would you like to start? Yeah, so these 
aren't my final thoughts or they are my final thoughts? Uh, not your final thoughts. Just say one or two things you really liked about this. Movie. Okay, so something about. that Colin brought up earlier that he enjoys a lot was the jokes and how well paced those were throughout. It kind of kept him engaged. So I want, I guess, I wanted to share some of the moments that have, and I've seen this movie like four to five times now. Um, that not as many as Colin, but still more than I think Jack has. I wanted to share a few moments that still make me laugh out loud. And that is when uh, Valkyrie is introduced, when he's, she's stumbling off of her ship and falls over. Yeah, yeah, that's a good Hilarious. one. <laughs> oh, and yeah. then the scene where Thor meets the Grandmaster, he's in the chair. Like, ah! going, <laughs> yeah. You're about to meet the Grandmaster. Yeah. In five. It's a- and the music in the background from um, Willy Wonka, like, it's so good. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. that was a good touch. Yeah, that was. It's such a good scene. I love it. Now, I have to say the editing in that, where it cuts to him yelling to the room with the the Grandmaster and his people, I think that's a good edit. Oh, yeah. I Yeah, I'm with you there. It, it was really, you know, Taika is obviously a big fan of, how the form affects the comedic factor. You know, he loves right. Edgar Wright. He loves Wes Anderson. So those moments definitely hit hard. I, I agree sure. with you, Caleb. But those are some concluding, but not final <laughs> thoughts that I have. Concluding, but not final. <laughs> yeah, I'll kind of say this going off what Caleb said. I think of any Marvel film, whether it's a full blown big team up Avengers movie or a smaller scale film. I think this one has the best ensemble. The cast here is incredible. You got Blanchin, you got Goldblum, you got Rachel House. Watiti's doing the Korg voice. It's great. I, I like Ruffalo. I like Hemsworth. I like Hiddleston. I, I think this has Tessa Thompson is really, really good. She's a great yeah. actress. I think this might be my favorite ensemble in any MCU film. That's not a bad point. And I think I think the Black Panther ensemble is also up there, mm-hmm. but that kind of goes back to my original point of why I perceive Black Panther and Ragnarok as the best of Phase 3 of the MCU. And, and I honestly do think I like these films more than Infinity War and Endgame. Good. <laughs> Colin said it is good. It is. This is good. I like. Oh, man. All right. So are we? Am I wrapping this up? Am I going to do? Yeah, Colin, go ahead and let's let's do some final thoughts. Okay. Anything? This was your baby. This is your film. You love this movie. What's the final thing you want to say about it before Caleb says his final thoughts? Look, guys, sometimes I feel like uh, I have a bad habit of when I really really love a movie. Sometimes I find it difficult to say things other than "Come on, you idiot! This is a good movie. Why don't you see that?" But upon further inspection of this film. Maybe I was too harsh, or or, excuse me, too quick to jump to it being such a five-star film. You know, on this viewing, I think I might have actually downgraded my vote a little bit. Um, You know, I've really had some introspective thoughts about how uh, I view film uh, through this movie. I'm just kidding, you dumb idiots. This movie's awesome, and if you disagree with it, you suck. Dude, five-star film, easy. <laughs> you really threw me for a loop there, Colin. I thought you were being very sincere. <laughs> Never, baby. 
Well, that's a perfect transition into ratings. Caleb, you want to do the ratings for me? I'll do the ratings for you. Yeah, I'll do the ratings for you, Jack. Since Colin has thrown the fives, but it's Colin's pick, you know. Of course, he picked a five-star film. I I respect that, Colin. I'll probably pick some of my five-star films for my upcoming picks. (gasps) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Prepare Uh, viewers for four-hour-long films in uh, Bonswami. Nope. That's a character in WoW. Not a yeah, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I'd watch a movie. Shout out to our WoW heads out there. Dang. <laughs> Kayla, look uh, at we you. We are recording Dang. this around wow. BlizzCon. <laughs> that was a Freudian slip big time. What do I want to do after this, I wonder? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Caleb, you give me my rating first, then I'll give you yours. All right, Jack. You and your buddies, uh, Corey and Meek, decided to start up your own podcast where you talk about video games, the latest games you've played, as well as some tips and tricks to start your own revolution. <laughs> and as you, <laughs> Korg and Meek, and Meeks, uh, decide, or re- rehashed your, your past attempt at a revolution, which, like Korg men- mentioned, failed, um, how, many, how many pamphlets did you, did you and your team print out of five to spread the word about your revolution? Nice, Caleb, nice. <laughs> God, I, speaking of great moments, the end of the film where he's like, Oh, Meek, you're alive. He's alive, guys. <laughs> great. I'm, I'm sorry. What was your question again? <laughs> and the doors are like, Earth it is. Earth That's it such is. a great way to conclude the film. <laughs> no, but um, and then there's the yeah, after my rating credit for this film. sequence. Ooh, whose ship is that? Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. Real quick, I'm doing it by out of five pamphlets, right, yep. Caleb? How many five pamphlets did you print? Yeah, Colin, I gotta say, I'm glad you brought this film to discussion. I'm glad we got to talk a little bit, talk about it a little bit more than we have in the past, because we've brought it up in the past. This is a film very near and dear to your heart. I love talking about it. Great episode. Good work. He's gonna give it like one star. Oh my god. <laughs> oh no. Oh. I'm passing no. out two pamphlets, baby. Two wow, pamphlets. Two? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh my god. <sighs> Look, this film might be better than I remember. Two pamphlets. I'm just not that into it. Oh, no. <laughs> like, honestly, this oh. film is like the inverse of Six Underground. Whether well, Six Underground, I get why people don't like it. I like it. Thor Ragnarok, I get why everybody likes it. I really do. I just don't really like it. <laughs> Oh, oh no. <laughs> Colin is broken. <laughs> All right, let me give Caleb his rating. Or All let right. me present that to you. Caleb, you found yourself in a dark house. You found this weird pamphlet telling you to go to a mysterious mansion. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Five vampires popped out. They're coming at you, Caleb, but luckily you brought your big wooden fork and you're ready to stab some vampires. How many of those five vampires are you taking out? <laughs> wow. I love that. So I will say this. I liked... When Sincere Colin was going on about how, you know, he actually thought about this viewing and how it um, <laughs> may have Im- impacted his appreciation of it and in, in, in expanding his mind to qualities of this film that weren't as good as previous viewings. I liked where that was going because I wanted to follow that with on this rewatch. I actually am upgrading my rating of this movie from what it previously was. 
So, of the five, taking out three. Three, Caleb? <laughs> three? Three. Yeah, dude, you, that's higher than what it was before, man. You both are uncultured. You both are. You both are the 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 dinit the dinit the the the. It's three stars, Caleb. Dude, okay, it was lower, and I'm telling you, I liked I like it more now because of this viewing and what we've talked about today. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm calm. You got to do it in. You got to do it in small increments. You can't expect it all at once. You're right. Hey, you know what, Caleb? You're right. Okay, you're right. I, you I gotta, you heard it here I first, gotta... everybody. Colin said I was right. Yeah. <laughs> and Diet Dr Pepper is the best. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Caleb is right, and Diet Dr Pepper is the drink of choice. Amen. What a great episode. <laughs> well, that was our main discussion of Thor Ragnarok. A little bit longer than normal, but that's what we're here for—to talk about films. So let's talk about some more films <laughs> and maybe some TV shows thrown in there too. Caleb, what you been watching, my friend? Yeah, so Sundance Film Festival happened online this year, in 2021, because of various reasons. Um, mainly due to the pandemic, we still can't you know, gather large places. But also in Texas, it's freaking freezing over. <laughs> and, yeah, we're, we're But that wasn't the reason right that after the Sundance <laughs> happened online. Um, I'm just being dramatic. But this year, I decided, you know... I can't – we're not going to Sundance and, and get having to buy a ticket and have to travel all the way out. I think it's in Utah is where they uh, – you can go to the theater to see their Sundance premieres. Is it Utah or Colorado? I think it's Utah. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I, always, I always forget. So they let you buy a ticket to to do – to stream online. And so I decided to, to, to look into some of the, the show times and I discovered this little – film from new zealand called coming home in the dark and it's the directorial debut for james ashcroft a new zealand film director um, i'll read you the little uh summary of it off a letterbox the school teacher is forced to confront a brutal act from his past when a pair of ruthless drifters takes him and his family on a nightmare road trip interesting and what was say the title one more time Coming home in the dark. Coming home in the dark. And you saw this. How was I it? I watched it. It sounds freaky deaky. It is freaky deaky. It is a jaw-dropping, suspenseful thriller. It leaves you with some a... poo-poo in your trousers? I don't know about that. <laughs> I will say, this movie is not for the faint of heart. There is some intense like like worse than midsummer like gore grotesque scenes that are just hap- they just happen on screen in front like you are watching this happen and you're like i can't believe they just put that on screen like you can put you can do that on, on a movie screen like that how like, did they get away with this? yeah exactly um but the main antagonist his name is in the in the story. His name is Mandrake, played by Daniel Gillies. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He has a lot of small roles in a lot of in a lot of films. 
notably Spider-Man 2. I don't quite remember what he did in that one, though. Uh, Spider-Man 2 with to- Tobey Maguire. Mm-hmm. And he, his villain, like, his, he is, like, I don't know that there is a better, I don't, what, 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 what word can I use to describe Chilling. how he portrayed this this uh antagonist freaky deaky like uh colin's gonna start throwing words your way till you yeah. think of something monstrous horrible he's, horrific yeah i mean yeah he's horrible he's he's you know monstrous all those words but it's so he's so visceral i was about to say like, he's visceral. very like it's it's almost like if you were to like he has no morality not in the joker sense but in the this guy seems like a very reasonable human being, but he's very like abrasive and and rigid and just this you know down in his core he is evil. Oh yeah. And it's the way he's portrayed on screen, oh my gosh, it is dang. Dang. So I'm um, guessing the film is kind of a thriller, yeah. maybe not quite horror, but kind of in that more intense, Very much suspenseful a vibe. Okay, and what okay. I what I really respect about this film is I, you know, on Letterboxd, I ended up giving it four out of five stars. So it's not like, you know, five star caliber. But what I respect a lot about this film is a lot of it takes place in a car. So it's got these very like claustrophobic moments. And some of the editing they were able to do, going back to our editing discussion, um, was very impressive for this being this director's first film, which I think is really cool to see that someone can shine and show off on on a on a feature on on their first feature, and it's a hit. Like it worked. And you said it was a New Zealand film, right? It was filmed yeah. in New Zealand. The film crew and cast is from New Zealand? It is, yes. And kind of perfect timing in regards to this right? episode. <laughs> and they didn't just like, sure, they, you know, it's hard to film a bad scene in New Zealand. Yeah, like there's some beautiful shots. But a lot of this happens at night. And you don't really see a lot of the, the scenery for a lot of the runtime. So they couldn't really rely on the easy, you know, set pieces with the beautiful backgrounds and there that is that is there. Don't get me wrong, but it's ha- a lot of this takes place inside of a dark car or in a dark, um, and or in darker forests and woods. Nice, nice. Well, it sounds like you're really into this, Caleb. And yeah, and I remember a year ago you and I were talking about Sundance, and there was a little film called Palm Springs that was uh-huh. coming out of Sundance with a lot of hype. So, <laughs> yeah, I remember you and I were both interested in that one, and it's fun to kind of take a look at the Sundance catalog and see right. what's going to be capturing the zeitgeist here in the next couple. Yeah, months. I don't think this one will quite get there because of how niche of a topic it is. Mm, but mm, that's fair. Still a good film. Check it out. I ended up talking about this movie a lot longer than I expected, but that's okay. That shows its quality, so that's yeah. good. Well, that's a film from 2021, and next up, Caleb and I are going to hop back here and talk about a little film that has won over quite a few of the critics from 2020. This is the Chloe Zhao film with Francis McDormand, Nomadland, which just came on Hulu, so Caleb and I decided to watch it. We did. 
Caleb, this film is getting a lot of hype. People are predicting it could win Best Picture, if not oh, for get sure. all the Oscars. Yeah. What'd you think of Nomadland? Yeah, so like you, Jack, I've read a lot up a lot about how it was getting a lot of attention since it, you know, I think it won at both the Toronto and Venice festivals. Like it got a lot of notoriety. It definitely early, won early Venice. On. I can't remember about Toronto, but you you are right. I'm glad you brought that yeah. up. I remember when I went to go watch Promising Young Woman in theaters, I saw the trailer for Nomadland for the first time. I was like, whoa, Like this looks like a gorgeous movie. I would check this out. So I've been waiting for a chance to watch it since. I've seen it pop up on the popular movie lists. I've seen it get a lot of noms recently. Um, so finally getting to watch it, I was very moved by it. I thought it was a beautiful movie. I think the – I don't know a whole lot about the – the context that it's set in like the the city that was essentially no is now no longer a city uh, was i think it was called empire yeah the basic plot of the movie is francis mcdormand plays a woman in her 60s whose husband had passed and her hometown had kind of been hit really hard by the recession yeah to the point to where it almost doesn't exist anymore and she's right, kind of like become it, a nomad like it's not even a registered her- zip code anymore Right, right. It opens with a little black title yeah. card talking about how her hometown doesn't have a registered zip code. And the whole movie is her in her van being a nomad, going around with other, these kind of senior 50s, 60s, 70-year-old types that just travel across America in their vans, looking for work, looking for jobs, mm-hmm. trying to survive this very intense lower-class environment without really having their own established home. Right. And, it, and in a lot of ways, this film is showing how these nomads view their their vehicles as their home, the sentimental value they have in utilizing this, that space and traveling around as that's what's important to them. And you get a very specific look at the kind of work that Francis McDormand's character gets to do um, throughout the year. So she, you know, travels around the country and she's doing all these different types of part-time jobs trying to get, get, get enough money just to, you know, make it by. Would you argue that she's not homeless? She's houseless? Actually, they say that in the movie. I know. I just watched the trailer. <laughs> oh, oh, nice. <laughs> nice call and way to cop in there. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, calling him right on the head. <laughs> Now, speaking of the pod being in tune, there's a part where she's camping out with some of the nomads. She, like, walks by these three guys outside of a van. They're, like, three older six-year-old guys, and they're all shirtless sunbathing, and they all, like, wave at her. And I was like, me and the Yats boys. Yeah. And after working hard recording an episode, (laughs) they all have their dogs on top of their bed. Yeah, that's awesome. I was like, that's Caleb Collin and I. (laughs) Shout out to Francis McDormand, avid listener. Yeah. Yeah, so Colin, you know who Frances McDormand is, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like you recognize her name? Fargo and three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri, and some uh, one of the Coen brothers' wife. Wife. Wife, right? Yeah, in both those movies you referenced, she won Oscars for, and yeah. a lot of people think she'll get Oscar number three with this one, so that would be pretty exciting. I think she's great in it. I think she deserves yeah. it if she does get the win. I don't know the last time I saw a story like this presented in such a beautiful way. Yeah, as far as kind of, Caleb's talked a little bit about it, but as far as my initial take, reaction, reception of the film, 
I'm kind of biased here, Caleb. <laughs> Any film that's going to have these kind of post Malik type vibes, you sure. know, I'm going to be a sucker for. I'm really, really glad that you brought that up because I, I wanted you to talk about that. Yeah, because a lot of this film, I would say a good 30% of this film is just characters being out in the Midwest, being out in the plains, the environment, just kind of enjoying nature, enjoying the earth, watching mm-hmm. the sky. There's not a lot of dialogue or plot to this film, which <laughs> it's kind of funny. This this is a great antithesis to Thor Ragnarok right. in regards to <laughs> there's very minimal story to this. It's basically Frances McDormand's in her van, and it's about her adventures, travels with several other individuals around her age and their own kind of nomadic experience being part of lower class America. And apart from that, not much else happens. <laughs> right. But correct me if I'm wrong, Jack, if you've read something different. I believe some of the background characters that Fern or Francis McDormand meets are played by real people. Are played by real nomads. Yeah, and that's something Miss Sow did in her last film, The Writer, which I believe came out in 2017, 2018, and she got a lot of critical acclaim for it. So mm. I'm not surprised she did this technique again where she basically goes out into the country and meets mm. these real-life people and then says, hey, I want you to play yourself in my movie with Frances McDormand playing like a fictional person. It's kind of a... I don't really know how to describe it. It's almost like a neo-realist documentary thing going on there. I, I don't know. Someone smarter than me okay, could probably frame I'm it. I'm glad there. you brought that up too because I got that sense as well. Like watching this, like I was engaged the whole time, didn't really get distracted, which is... That is you know what i need in a in a great quality film something that keeps my attention but it had definitely had that documentary style to it as well where you're really zoomed in on this person and they're kind of talking a bit about their experience or their their life for 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 like a minute or less like i feel like yeah and i think on the note of the documentary style where it really hits that is Yes, you get a sense for who these people are in their real life and what they are as characters in this overarching film, but it always kind of complements the themes at play in regards to the conversation regarding class and homelessness and Mm -hmm. being a nomad. Yeah, I see that. In some ways, it's kind of funny because if this film wins Best Picture, which a lot of people are predicting it will, it'll be funny to think that Parasite won Best Picture last year. This film wins Best Picture for 2020. And they're both very much these kind of hardcore, not subtle at all, commentary on the plight of capitalism (laughs) and the intensity of being part of the lower class. But it's funny because Parasite is a much straightforward kind of Hitchcockian style thriller, and this is a very low-key, almost ambient type of Mm. vibe film. You know, it's very, not a lot happens in this, whether it's Parasite is a film where a lot happens. Right. Parasite's also the type of film where there's not a lot to the characters outside of the core themes and subtext, which, you know, you can argue whether that's good or bad, yada, yada. But Nomadland's the opposite. It lets the characters kind of speak for themselves. Right. And then you get to see how that complements the kind of capitalist critique themes going on in Nomadland, which I thought was really interesting. That is super fascinating. And some of the critiques I've read of Nomadland so far kind of have to do with the presentation, especially with something like Amazon, and what that's what that was like for her to work for Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see and, about that. <laughs> I don't know that I agree with some of the criticism because they're talking about how it. I've read how 
they're sharing thoughts on how they think it's a maybe an inaccurate look into the life of an Amazon worker or something like that. But why do they do they know. make it seem more <laughs> or less more humane than it actually is, or less humane than it actually is? Do you follow? Does that make sense? Yeah, like Caleb, how would you describe the presentation of Amazon as a company for these lower class people? To I don't know. In? It felt like a very neutral presentation of it. Like their their attempt was like what how Jack put it is like this. It's very ambient. It's very this is just like a day in the life of someone that's doing this particular job. And I'm not an Amazon employee. I can't speak for what it's like for them to you know package these things up and put it on the 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 line going into the trucks like i like so i don't know but it's it felt very like like it could be real okay fair enough what did you think jack yeah and one thing you brought up with like criticisms of the film is i've seen a lot of people criticize this film where hey this isn't an accurate representation of the american lower class homeless yeah. problem because most homeless people don't have a vehicle they can just hop into sure. which on one end, I agree with that criticism, and I think that's a really good thing to point out in regards to these films, and in regards to the fact that you know your director is a is a kid who had kind of wealthy parents in China, and then yeah. got to go to a nice film school in Britain, and now she's come over to America to show the. So you know, I think those commentaries, <laughs> those criticisms, are definitely worth having. However, for me, as someone who's I've worked with a lot of seniors, a lot of sixty plus year olds, and uh-huh. this is very much a film where. The main demographic you're watching is 60-year-old plus, and that's not really a demographic you get these type of kind of critical Oscar contenders. That's not a demographic that usually gets the spotlight, per se. So I get the criticisms towards this film, and I think if I were to say, like, oh, am I giving this a rating? Like, what separates this film from, you know, do I give it three stars, three and a half, four stars, yada, yada, yada? I definitely get those criticisms, and I get why people might not be hung up on it. But I really like that there's a film that says, hey, here's a very specific type of poor old person and how they handle the recession and they handle their lack of wealth and kind of the failings of capitalism. I think that's really interesting and powerful Mm -hmm. to show that demographic on screen. Yeah, now did you think it was too on the nose, the conversation that she had around the fire with her sister and and her her family friends. Uh, yes and no. Like I I don't think it was any worse than something in Parasite. If that makes okay. sense. Okay, I see. I I don't I don't count it against the film per se, but like I said, it would be hilarious if this wins Best Picture the year after Parasite wins Best Picture. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. My I'm still out of all the 2020 films I've seen. I still think that Mank's gonna pull it off. Let me ask you this, because. Since we've had our 2020 conversation, I've watched a few more films that you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Where do you think this sits on your 2020 list, Caleb? So I'll say this much for for starters. My 2020 top five is very different than the episode where I ranked 2020. Dang. How different? N- none of the top five in that ranking list is in the top five now. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Nice. That's funny. So, I, so then the next thing I'll say is Nomadland is now in the top five. Can I share? Can nice, I share? Nice. So I've actually I've actually seen part of that trailer before. I forgot what movie I was watching, 
but it was an ad for it. I feel like one of you guys was with me, but I can't remember who. And I remember making this noise at it. <laughs> Boring. Move on. <laughs> uh, would I uh, would I think that after seeing it, Caleb, or should I give this movie a watch? So here, here's what I'll say, Colin. I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. But if you watch this movie for Francis McDormand, I don't think you're going to be disappointed. Okay. I can handle that. Like, if that's all you go into it for, I don't think you're going to be let down. Also, is it sad? Because I don't do sad. It's sad. Like, nope. I, all right. I teared nope. up throughout the movie for sure. No, thank you. Not for me. <laughs> what about you, Jack? I only teared up at the end when she was having that final conversation with the leader of the Nomads. Because uh, it kind of reminded me of my own process of losing, like, a loved one dang. and grieving. and. I found that scene to be very poetic and powerful. Because for a film with very minimal dialogue, just for moments like that to really hit hard, I really enjoyed that a lot. And like I said, I, I honestly think if we were to all rate this, our ratings wouldn't be too different. But I think we would have different reasons for why we rated it in different ways. Because I think there is something very beautiful about this film. I just think that, kind of like you said, there were some things that might have been they were a little bit in your face. They might not have been subtle enough. They might have come off a weird. I think Colin would be bored with a lot of it. You know, th there's definitely elements to it that I would definitely see why somebody wouldn't say, "Oh, this is the best picture of 2020." Yeah. Uh -huh. That being said, Caleb, when we did our 2020 episode, you talked a lot about how much you love Promising Young Woman with Carrie Mulligan. Right. I've watched Promising Young Woman since then, and we don't have to go too far on this today because we've been talking a lot, and I want to move on to Colin. But I think Nomadland is way better than Promising Young okay. Woman by like a high. I'm margin. glad we're bringing this up because maybe this can be a sh quick mistakes were made discussion. <laughs> oh boy, uh oh, because mistakes were made. My, I am I'm having such a hard time with Promising Young Woman because it keeps going like all over the radar in my 2020 top five top ten because i think right now nomad land is like a couple positions higher than promising young woman but come tomorrow i could switch it back to oh promising young woman great film better than all the others so I'm, i might have to rewatch it again and see and see what we think yeah and, and I, i'm gonna put a pin on that conversation caleb because we're we've been talking about nomad land along long a little bit because there's some other films I'm going to watch to watch for the purpose of comparing and contrasting with Promising Young Woman. Okay. So maybe not next episode, but in two episodes. Plot twist, we already recorded next episode because we did things out of order. <laughs> but in, in a couple episodes, we're going to revisit Promising Young Woman. So if you're a listener and you're on the fence about Promising Young Woman and you want to be part of that conversation, you should definitely join in. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But yeah, let's, let's move on if that's okay with you, Caleb. Final thing I'll say about Nomadland, I really liked it. I don't necessarily love it, but if Colin wanted to watch it and I was there, I'd be down to rewatch it. I, I, I get the hype, even though this... I, I don't know. I, I liked it more than Tenet. There you go. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> so as many of you know on this podcast, I like to kind of take myself up as a key figure in, you know, fighting for the art house, fighting for the independent, fighting for the 
cult classics and the deeper cuts, some of the things you might not find unless you're on TCM. I want to go to the oldies, the goldies, all the good stuff. But today, I'm not going to do that. Today, Colin and I are going to talk about a little MTV dating show are called you Are the, You the One? Da, 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 da. I don't know MTV what that music was. MTV dating show. Bro, Dang. do you not? Okay. Colin, tell our viewers a little bit about Are oh You the One? And tell me about it. Oh, <laughs> Caleb. Uh, we are going to introduce, we're going to make you watch this show, man. Oh, no. So, <laughs> Are You the One is about uh, 10 guys and 10 girls get locked. Not locked, but they they're, they get locked <laughs> in a oh, house. Geez. Last one standing. Are you sure this isn't a horror film? <laughs> That joke's on you. No, Con just had a Freudian slip again. Uh, so they're in this quote-unquote competition where the whole point is uh, each person has a perfect match uh, that is in the house. Uh, each guy has a – They're on this, like, resort. Yeah. Each guy has With a girl. hot tubs and, and alcohol. A really nice vacation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Except uh, – and there's all these mechanisms in place to uh, try and – let them um, figure out who their perfect match is. Like, there is alcohol. Uh, there is alcohol. Um, it's a very social party environment, per se. There's, okay. uh, there, there's alcohol, and uh, there, <laughs> and uh, there's alcohol. Oh, and there are a couple of challenges and things like that. So basically, the whole thing oh, is you're trying to figure out who your perfect match is. Uh, every week, one couple gets sent to the truth booth, and that's the only oh, way no. to confirm 100% someone is your perfect match. Uh, so you want to get those people who you think are couples into the truth booth, and then those couple who you think are couple are actually not a couple, and then it ruins the whole house, and everyone's all mad, and people get butt hurt, and they're like, oh my god, I can't believe you just listened to this machine that's part of the game. Oh my god, how dare you betray my trust and kiss this other person? Oh my god, I'm so drunk. It's amazing. <laughs> so, kind of rewinding a little bit, because I want to make sure we're making this clear to Caleb. The challenge of the show is, you know, there's 10 guys, 10 girls, and all 20 of these people don't get the reward money unless they all find their perfect match in the span of, is it 10 weeks, Colin? Yeah, 10 weeks. Well, that's, I guess it's not a lot of time, but it is maybe an, enough time to get it sorted out. <laughs> and, and the whole point is there's this weird psychological game going on where, you know, our big douchey bro guy, we'll call him Buddy, and Buddy says, like, oh, me and Zoe have a thing. Like, she's good looking. She's digging me. We got chemistry. We're obviously a match. Well, they end up going to the truth booth. They're not a match. And suddenly they're in this whole drunken stupor of psychological turmoil of, like, well, who's really my match? And then Zoe's like, oh, but I actually had a thing for Buddy. So there's a lot of drama and bickering over this whole concept of finding your perfect wait, match. And I'm doing the finger quotes. Wait, there. okay. Let me clarify something here. Are you telling me that there is an objective answer in this show to who is supposed to be matched with who? Yes. They and do, they have to they arrive like, to that on their own, and they don't know it? Yes. and they. So before the show yeah. starts, they do, what is it, like a psychological yeah. evaluation? So it's not like they've scoured the earth to find your actual perfect match. No, it's... Well, no, 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 no. that's not what I mean. Oh, it's okay. like, okay, I'm curious here about the parameters in which they get placed into this community. So, Jack, you're talking about the psychological evaluation? 
I, I mean, Colin knows more about the show than I do, but I think that's how they do it. Like, when they sign up for the show, they almost do some type of, like, psych test. Yeah, they do. Background it check. According to the show, it's extensive. <laughs> but, you know, how extensive could it possibly okay. be if it's on MTV? <laughs> <laughs> but but the but I think the main draw of the show because I'm gonna put on the record I'm having a good time with this show I didn't think I would like this show that much but Colin and Catherine showed it to me and I've really enjoyed it it's really thrilling and really engaging because <laughs> it's this whole idea of you get these people who they're crazy hot they're crazy ripped they're really attractive and they get these ideas like oh I'm obviously attracted to so and so so it's gonna work out but no according to your psychological profile it's actually someone else so you play this whole mind game of first impressions, who you initially thought was a good match for you. Maybe it won't work down the line, and maybe that's why the psychological evaluation came back negative or whatever. But of course, people's emotions are involved. The feelings are played. So you get really messy drama in all this, and it's just so... You know, I think a lot of critics of stuff like this would say this is very much trash oh, television, and I'm not going to argue against them. I'm not going to deny yeah. it. It so is question. trash television. Go ahead, so Kayla. What what's your question? When, say it's week one, and okay. they go into the truth booth. Is that what they do? Yeah, you can. If you think you have your match, you go into the truth booth and you but, figure it out. For so sure. everyone in the house. So they have a challenge every week, and whoever there's like three couples usually who win the challenge, okay. and the the rest of the house votes on which one of those three couples will go into the truth booth. So, like, in some seasons, there's, like, people throwing challenges, like, losing challenges on purpose so that they can get a couple... Interesting. To be so what in, happens if they get it right? For the, so they get so a couple... They go they, if, they get a, if they get a couple right, okay, then that couple gets sent to the honeymoon suite, and they're essentially gone from the show, and they only come back once a week for... Uh, the for the the light up ceremony, and they oh, only gosh. get the reward if all of them if all get of matched. them get it. Yeah. Okay. Dang. But they lose the benefit of having some other minds involved. I mean, I kind of if but that if that's been a benefit. And you're seeing why we like the show, <laughs> yeah, Caleb. Dude. You're hitting on them. But like, this could I, be interesting. So, let me put it to you this way, Caleb. There's only two seasons of it on Netflix right now. Season one and two. Okay. Catherine and I are currently watching season six that we had to buy with money oh on Amazon. Y'all <laughs> this committed? <laughs> That's how much we love this show. Dang. Yeah, I, I haven't finished season one yet, so no spoilers, audience members, but I, I really like this show a lot because it takes the very superficial, shallow surface level of a trashy dating television show, but it adds that very nice line of... You know, psychological, will they, won't they conversation amongst the participants. Because we've all been on dating apps. You know, you might be messaging, you know, person A while you're messaging person B, but it's not like person A and person B ever interact. On this show, you're stuck in this resort <laughs> with everybody. So if you're flirting with person A, everyone else sees it, and everyone else sees what's going on. So the tensions what get a high. Terrible social <laughs> dynamic. That sounds exhausting. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's it, it is, is exhausting, quite the and it's amazing, and <laughs> and you get and you get some really genuinely good people on the show, and you get some evil garbage tier people on the show, and it's 
and you're like, wow, whoever is going to be this person's match, I feel so bad for them. Because, like, this person is insane. Like, could murder somebody, and it's incredible. So there we go. The episode where I get to recommend both Nomadland and Are You the One? (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, maybe something a little bit more on the classical side. Colin, why don't you talk about a little film called Blazing Saddles? Oh, yeah. 1974, I believe. I I believe. I could be wrong about that. Hey, it worked in Blazing Saddles. Man. So I have never seen Blazing Saddles up until, you know, last week or last, last weekend. And uh, I got to say, I respect the heck out of this movie. I don't want to say that I, oh, I loved it. It was so good. It was so, it was so inventive. But, like, this movie, if it could not, absolutely could not be made today, even though some of the satirical points that it's bringing up are very positive in nature, like, it could not be made today. And I think that Mel Brooks is just... The more of his work that I see, the more respect I gain for this comedy icon. <laughs> like, what what a way to talk about, like, racism and just really leaning hard into these racist ideas and kind of making a joke out of them and defanging them in, in, in a way... Uh, because I know a lot of people like can't even stand this movie because it's so offensive. Oh my gosh, it's so offensive. Uh, have either of you seen it? I saw it way back in high school. I mean, I, it's literally been almost ten years since oh, I watched okay. it. Okay, not long. Caleb, what about you? I haven't seen it. Oh, I recommend that you both give it a rewatch. It's not even. It, it's just like the fourth wall breaks. The the totally total lack of political correctness the uh the absolute disregard for anybody's feelings it's very south park in that way like it take but 20 years before yeah like this movie it kind of blew my mind some of the stuff that happened and was said in this movie and i'm like this came out in the 70s wow this movie is beyond its time like absolutely beyond its time this movie would be hilarious like in the year 2200 like it's amazing i I think a lot of it if you don't mind me interjecting colin i think a lot of it is because this is one of those films where when it comes to comedy classics this film usually always ranks up there and i think a big part of that is this film is edgy enough to where it's got that bite that still works and still hits on, you know, the commentary regarding, like, racism in America and where we've come from in the past 200 years, but also how some things may not have changed. But it also does a good job of, you know, commenting and making fun of the Western genre, which, as we talked about on this podcast before, is such an influential part of American filmmaking. And because of that racial commentary, but also spoofing the Western it really hits on something a little bit deeper and more sincere than most traditional satires ever really go for. You know what I'm yes. saying? Yes, I, I I agree. Just also, I double checked. 
Mel Brooks did release this film. It came out in 74, and he also released Young Frankenstein the same year. So, wow, Brooks, amazing. (laughs) Two of the biggest comedies of all time in the same year, both starring the the boy, Gene Wilder, right? Gene Wilder's in both both of them, them. I think. Nice. What a great actor. And there are so so many good quotes in Blazing Saddles, like so many good quotes, but... I've told Jack this, but my my absolute favorite happened in the first, like, four minutes of the movie where the guy rides up after all the idiot villain cowboys are singing a super racist song. He just rides up on his horse and goes, what in the wide world of sports is going on around here? (laughs) (laughs) I'll never get over when he first comes into town and he's telling them that he's the sheriff and they're all shocked because he's a black man. And he's about to pull out, like, the paper. Let me just whip this out right quick. And he pulls out of his crotch, like, and they're like, oh, it's such a good bit. Such a good wide shot. I I love it. Great movie. Oh, incredible. Uh, Could not be made today. Uh, We'll very offensive, extremely offensive uh, in a lot of ways. And I love it. I love that it is that offensive. (laughs) (laughs) There we have it, ladies and gentlemen. The Mount Rushmore of Colin. You got Serial Mom, Thor Ragnarok, Lawless, Blazing <laughs> Saddles. That's legendary. Colin loves I Westerns to say, though, until he hates them. I have to say, Spaceballs is always going to be my number one Mel Brooks movie. Mm. Oh, oh, that I is a classic. It. That is. It's so good. The Spaceballs Flamethrower? <laughs> Popular with Spaceballs <laughs> the Flamethrower. <laughs> oh, kids love this one. <laughs> oh, man. Caleb, have you seen any Mel Brooks films? You seen Men in Tights? You seen any? Just Spaceballs. Haven't seen really any of the other ones. Colin, any other thoughts or comments on Blazing Saddles? I know we're approaching the end, but I'm glad you brought this film up. It is a, it is nah, a good dude, one. That's that's about it. Well, on the topic of westerns, that's a good segue into talking a little bit about next Uh-oh. episode. You see, Colin loved Sergi Leone so much that. He just came up to me and said, Jack, we got to do more of these spaghetti lists. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with Colin. We put him through the Ruffalo arc. We can, we can give him a break. But that being said, we are going to do something a little different next time. You're used to the three amigos here, but we're bringing on Quattro, baby. Our first guest is My coming. teammate. My teammate, bro. <laughs> Y'all will understand that reference later. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Colin's teammate. That's right. OG listener of the pod and one of our closest friends, the unofficial fourth member of the pod. Gabe is going to be our guest. It'll be fun, exciting to do a four-person discussion instead of a three. He brought a little 2011 film by Gore Verbinski called Rango for us to discuss next time. So I think it's on Netflix, if I'm correct. If you want yeah, to that's where that I out. watched it. Nice. But yeah, check us out next time when we meet up with Gabe and talk a little bit about Rango. My wife just gave me a big sandwich. <laughs> Colin's wife just gave him a it's big sandwich, her, and I'm about to say her podcast. For something else. <laughs> just code for if something. If you've seen How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> Bruh, nice. I wish. <laughs> Colin's wife just gave him a big sandwich, and it's time for us to give you a big goodbye. Thank you for listening to Yelling at the Screen. Tune in next time for Rango. I'm Jack. I'm Colin. And I'm Caleb. Guten Tag. Bye. You're here because you have one thing in common. You suck at relationships. Matchmaking process. 
using psychologists, compatibility testing, professional matchmakers, and your friends, families, and exes. Your perfect match is here. 10 guys, 10 girls, one mission. Find each other. If you can do that, you're gonna split one million dollars. <laughs>